And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Well, you know, we've been talking about franchises and fandoms and political parties and podcasts and Joe Rogan and um, DC Comics, whatever. Um, and Aaron, this has got me to thinking of all these things, fandoms, shows you listen to, franchises you watch over and over and over, whether or not they're good or not still, you keep watching them. So this 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 gives me a question I want to ask you today. What is the importance of loyalty? Maybe it's just one of those words that only describes other words in people's minds. Mm. Loyalty. People have very different definitions. If you ask person to person what loyalty means, they would mm. tell you very different things. Mm, that's interesting. Maybe it means something completely different to everyone. Yeah. Mm. And so no one is actually agreeing on loyalty. No. Like, what does loyalty mean to you? What does that mean to you? What does it mean? Interesting. Um, well, food for thought for you at home to think over. Uh, so we welcome you to Star Trek Stories, episode 27, The Defector. Um, I am, of course, your magnificent host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here by my princely co-host, Aaron Cole. Aaron Cole, thank you for being here as always. Our lovely prince. You're, you're so welcome. <laughs> but mother! Hush now. The prince is here. Oh, dear God. Um, we are making good progress in our look at the TNG Renaissance. Last time we watched the NMA, um, where we got into some neutral zone. Where we got into some neutral zone shenanigans with the Romulans. We're going to be getting into even more Romulan shenanigans this week, um, as this is the second episode in our little Romulan twofer that we're doing. Um, so far, I would say the Romulans in Next Generation have been a better adversary than the Ferengi. <laughs> Only just. Only just. <laughs> um. For this second episode in our little Romulan twofer, we have a new guest host with us today. Um, sitting in the captain's chair, we have our very good friend, the very lovely Austin Archer. Hello, Austin. Gentlemen. Uh, Hello. You've both been very loyal friends. Oh, <laughs> Until now. Until now. <laughs> I'm cutting ties. One of you has betrayed me. <laughs> By the end of this episode, one of your seats will explode. <laughs> Ooh, stay tuned to find out uh, who it is. <laughs> oh my God, Austin, how the hell are you today? Dudes, I am thrilled to be here, gentlemen. I'm, I'm thrilled to be in studio yeah. for this. It's fantastic to be in, in front of you both and just hanging out like old times. It's like, it really puts you in a, in a time warp kind of thing when you hang out with old friends. And because uh, it's like, it just feels like you just sit down and you're like, oh, yeah, I was just here. I was just here the other day. Like, <laughs> I, just, I was just sitting down with these guys and chatting. And even if it was like, uh, no, that was like two years ago. Or, I mean, we, we all got together at Carlton's bachelor party, which was, uh, what, a year ago or ish. Oh my God, yeah. Around there. But uh, yeah, and then before that, I think Jake's wedding. But it's, you know, that's kind of the world that it is. But it's always nice mm -hmm. yeah. to be with you, gentlemen. Yeah, we all go back to the boys' house. We've had a bunch of people from the old, both the OG boys' house, the original series, and Next Generation. Mm. Um, you are one of the few who've been part of both. Yeah. Both OG and Next Gen. Yep. Two different generations of boys' Yeah, house. I did my, my tours in both houses. Yeah. Homes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, um, and we all kind of had our little... Our little niches, our little things. Like it was a shared group of we we talk about on the show is like it's like an unofficial frat house, um, sure theater frat house, yeah specifically. And even within that, we all had our own little uh, strengths and niches, whether it be music and whether it be art. Um, had our own ways of hazing. Like you had to be part of like yeah. a three way makeout at some point <laughs> in the house in order to be be initiated. You know, some game of spin the bottle that got a little out of control. You yeah. had to participate in. It <laughs> was also a time of like, especially that first boys' house. We were in college, so there was a lot of experimentation and new things going on. A lot everybody. of horniness. A lot of horniness. There was a lot of horniness. A lot of sexual repression from mm. growing up LDS and that. yeah, yeah, yeah. All that like, coming out too. Yeah. Um. 
I think in terms of uh, what you brought to the house, Austin, I mean, there were many things we all brought and that you brought. You were a true performer and an entertainer. Um, and not, you know, we all, you know, perform and entertain, but especially as like a pure performer and entertainer. Because um, you act in theater and film, but you also do music, both just singing and writing your own songs. Um, you now you have like a, a TikTok presence, so like social media content, um, and your own podcast. Um, so it's kind of just like I am here to perform and entertain kind of mentality. And so, like, whatever I can do to do that, I'm going to do it. Um, where some of us maybe specialized a bit more, um, you just tackled it all. I'm like, I just want to do it all. Um, yeah, sure. I think I, you know, I, I spent uh, years of my life trying to shut up more in social situations and unsuccessfully trying. But like, the, like I just said, like you know, the guy that, that never shuts up. And I had been hearing that since I was a little kid. That like I'd go over to friends' homes and their parents would be like, "Boy, you really can talk, can't you?" You know, like I was like a little kid and I I knew this. Like adults would be like, "Wow, you." you got a motor on that mouth. Like you really can go, you know? And like, and I, I was aware that like, it was a thing that seemed to bother people, or at least I perceived it that way as negative. And so my whole life, I always, I would try to see if I could find a way to say what I was trying to say in fewer words and like get to a question faster. So I could like get the, the, the ball passed faster. And I think I, college was a place where I started to realize. And in my twenties, I started to realize like, maybe there's just a function that I, I fulfill here socially where like there's different roles that people, because I, every time I would try to do that at a party that I'd be like, I'm not going to talk a lot tonight. I'm just going to sort of listen. Invariably someone would be like, are you okay? What's going on? Like (laughs) you're being really quiet. Then I'd be like, no, I'm just trying to just trying to hang back and just, you know, like just give other people a turn, you know, but then people will be like, no, do something like, <laughs> come on, do something. Do you know? like, your quarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, it, I realized like, maybe that's just a, 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 a spot in the, in the conversation dynamic that I fulfill and that I met, I've met other people like me too, who I'm like, no, you're like me. You can really, uh, you can, uh, can, can really go and can and 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 I think that a lot of us in that home were people who like give us enough go go juice with booze or weed or whatever you want we could all go toe to toe with a really lengthy conversation um, and I you know and sometimes I have people on my podcast who can really match me at that that level and sometimes I have people who hang back until I ask a question and I it takes more nudging from me as the host and stuff but it's a thing where i'm like for better or worse i'm 35 years old and it's never really stopped and i just have tried to embrace like and maybe that comes with that territory of just the overall entertainer you know and just trying to be yeah involved in in keeping keeping forward momentum going in the conversation and the you know yeah um yeah i guess i'll ask you real quick austin uh, and then we got to get into this episode but um what do you think the importance of loyalty is? And we'll I, get into this when we come back, but I think it's a fan- fascinating question, especially you, you brought up like fandoms. And I think that that's really interesting. Like the loyalty that people feel to a fandom. And sometimes people feel <clears throat> betrayed by a fandom. If the, if the, or by a, by a property, by a, a franchise, uh, you know, if it goes into direct, like they feel a loyalty to, the nature of a character or something. They feel like there's an initial thrust of an idea of a character, the idea of Superman, what Superman is supposed to represent, the idea of Batman, what that character is supposed to represent. And if they feel like a movie or a comic book or a cartoon is taking the character in a direction that betrays that initial idea, they feel a loyalty to that initial idea. And that's an interesting thing too, because it's like, are these ideas and concepts fluid? Are they capable of experiencing growth? Are we capable of of taking the initial idea and bending it in a way that changes it, but that maybe holds some of its foundational integrity still? You know, and I don't know. You know, so, so <clears throat> I think that kind of loyalty. I understand it. There are times when people do things with characters that I like that I'm like, I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the right. But I am always open to 
investigation and, and experimentation with properties that I enjoy and shows that I enjoy. It might not always work for me. It might not always be the thing that I'm like, eh, you know, like I, I would prefer seeing something else, you know, with that done with that property. But like I, that, I keep showing up and then there's like, like fandoms with sports and stuff. Like I'm, I'm loyal to like a name, like, like the Utah jazz, the university of Utah Utes. And it's like the, the personnel on that team changes all the time. There's, especially with college sports, it's like there's constantly new kids coming in and new kids graduating and leaving. And it's like every few years, it's a different team. It's a different group of guys, but they wear the jersey that I'm loyal to. I'm loyal to the idea, the concept of the University of Utah Utes. And it's very abstract. And it's also this thing that's like, it's tied to my family. It's like my family's wrapped up in that loyalty. Like I, I was talking to a guy the other day, um, on this, uh, at at work, um, who was wearing a Texas Longhorns hat. And I said like, Oh, you're a Longhorns fan. And he said, yeah, four generations. And what he meant by that was like, it's a, it's a family thing. Like we have four generations of Texas grads of university, UT grads. And so it's not about a matter of there's like when you ask someone like why are you a Texas Longhorns fan it's like it it's not really even about like I like their colors or I like the mascot it's like it's it's my family it eventually becomes a part of someone's DNA I feel <laughs> yeah like. like you go to over to somewhere like where they have deep roots in the beautiful game like Scotland mm-hmm. and they'll say it like are you it's a it's a religion it's beyond a religion to these people like are you Catholic or Protestant? And these people will say, oh, we're Rangers supporters. Yeah, yeah. Like straight up, no irony at all. Yeah. Oh, we support a Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 Celtic, it, it becomes me. a matter of identity. So I think there is like, there's these different areas where lo- like there's fandom loyalty, loyalty to that, to a concept, to an idea that you tie to, this is part of my family. This is part of my heritage. This is part of, and then there's like also like, fandom loyalty of just like a thing that I like where I'm like, maybe I'm being loyal to, to like childhood me. Maybe I'm being loyal to like what inspired me as a kid. I don't know. And then there's like friendship and relationship loyalty where it's like, do you have this person's back no matter what? You know, if you're, if your best friend in the world who you've invested all this time into murders somebody, can you stay loyal to them while also thinking like, I think you got to be held accountable for that crime, you know, and like, and what does that loyalty look like? And, and, and sometimes loyalty to a friend can look like cutting them off and walking away from the friendship. Cause you're like, my loyalty to the person that you are won't allow me to enable whatever this behavior is that you're engaging in anymore. And that can be really, really difficult, you know? And so it's, it's really an it's it's interesting how this shows up and what and that it's such a so many people cite it as an important thing but it's like yeah exactly what does that mean what's that mean yeah well we'll see if this episode of Star Trek tests our own loyalty to the franchise um, <laughs> yes uh, as we said before we are watching today um, the defector. Um, this aired January 1st, 1990. This is like literally our first 90s Star Trek episode. January 1st, 1990. I was about to turn two years old. Wow. Yeah. I was like five. <laughs> I was three. Right there in the middle. Um, this is the 10th episode produced for the third season. Um, last episode, we had an encounter with the Romulans. And in that episode, we kind of took a look at how we perceive in quotes, the enemy unquote. Um, and you know, in that case, how the Federation and the Romulans see each other. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a little closer look at individuals who get caught up in these kind of adversarial power battles and how they perceive their own side of the aisle as it were. Um, I think it'd be really fun to talk about. Um, for those of you at home, this is your invitation to watch. Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 3, Episode 10, and we will be back after we watch The Defector.
you have any children, Captain Picard, a family? No. Huh? Then you have sacrificed too much for your career. Yes, this is all very interesting. There comes a time in a man's life that you cannot know when he looks down at the first smile of his baby girl and realizes he must change the world for her, for all children. It is for her that I am here, not to destroy the Romulan Empire, but to save it. For months, I tried desperately to persuade the High Command that another war would destroy the Empire. They got tired of my arguments. Finally, I was censured, sent off to command some distant sector. This was my only recourse. I... will never see my child smile again. She will grow up believing that her father is a traitor. But she will grow up. If you act, Picard, if we stop this war before it begins. Yeah, we just watched The Defector, um, in case you haven't seen this episode or didn't watch it with us. Essentially, what happens is a Romulan admiral crosses the neutral zone to warn the Enterprise that a Romulan invasion is imminent. And essentially, Picard has to decide whether or not this guy is telling the truth and should act on it or not. Eventually, they decide, yeah, this guy is legit. They go check it out, and it's all just a test for this guy's loyalty. Um, so he ends up doing all this for nothing and the episode ends where without any, with nothing left, he kills himself. He kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the note the episode ends on as they triumphantly warp into the sunset or, <laughs> well, this guy's dead. That was weird. Bye. <laughs> um, so we'll get into initial thoughts, Austin, initial thoughts on the defector. Okay, well, uh, I have notes right off the bat on the first scene. And this is a thing that <laughs> that you you actually are the person who first planted this seed in my head, Jaron, that, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with William Shakespeare and the plays of William Shakespeare. They're obviously uh, – I, I think it's always fun for, through a historical lens to to look at the work and see sort of the evolution of the English language and just sort of see so, where so many – uh, turns of phrase come from and originate from and like maybe the first recorded time that you have someone saying that phrase or whatever. But I think that this notion that we have in storytelling and dramatic storytelling in theater that it's like it, it's the end all be all that it's it drives me nuts. And you're the first person I think that ever put the idea in my head that you're like, that's it. 400 years ago and that and we're done we peaked that's fiction it. peaked with shakespeare and you can't do it any better and there's a line here at the, and obviously this is a stupid uh, uh um uh pithy uh that i'm just kind of i'm more joking than anything but just the fact that picard says at the top of the episode he's like there's no better way to understand the human condition than through shakespeare and i'm just like mm-hmm. even in like even in what wh- when does this show takes place like like 300 years in the future like <laughs> access to Infinite alien cultures and art and Shakespeare is still the Lord Jesus Christ of fiction. Is still just the absolute best possible way to understand the human condition. 
And I just am like, I, I, mean, I don't think Shakespeare really is like the best him. way to understand the human condition in the era that I live in, in 2023. <laughs> like, Probably not even in its own time. Just yeah. even in its own time. This is it. Yeah, it's like it it succeeded. It's the, it's the stuff that, that stood the test of time. It's the stuff that made it out of it. I'm not, and it's, when I talk, when I criticize Shakespeare, like my, my, my girlfriend and I went and saw The Tempest recently and I just was like, I was just like, you know, like, it, it was a nice production and the, and the actors did a good job, but it's still just this thing where like, we're just expected to be, to be like, oh, Shakespeare, like, wow, amazing. But I'm like, I'm sorry. I would rather watch something more contemporary. I would. I would rather watch something written by someone who lived closer to me because it's. It feels like work a lot of the time. It's like homework. It's like, well, okay, hold on. What? It, what? It, it's work just to follow the plot. Just to be like, I think I followed that. I think I understood what was going on. I think I. I. I, I think I got that joke that they just said. I think I understood that joke. And so, like, you, you, you're proud of yourself when you're like, ah, oh, yeah. And then you go I, read a translation and you're, like, way off. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't understand it at all. <laughs> that was about Julius Caesar? What? I was lost. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> Somebody said Ides, and I thought that was, like, someone's name. <laughs> <laughs> who, is, who is Ides? Who is Ides? When March? does Ides show up? Yeah. <laughs> um, it... I, so yeah, but that has nothing to do with the episode. But that just was the beginning of the episode. Data is pr- practicing Henry V, I think, and and uh, a scene from Henry V and trying to understand human nature and stuff. But the episode itself, what it says about loyalty, is very interesting. Um, and the and the what the 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 thing that this Romulan admiral is put through reminds me of the kind of bad faith test a toxic or abusive partner might put some or friend might put some or boss at a job yeah might put someone through to test loyalty and i feel like that can it's sort of an example of like toxic loyalty mindset where like people will will put you through emotional turmoil or distress to test how much how, how how strong your loyalty is you know yeah yeah well, it got me thinking about I was I was trying to find a answer to the initial question, and it just I came up with more and more questions as we went along because I I thought I had something thinking about like loyalty is like based on someone's word, and the importance of what that means, how important that word is to them, how important it is like giving their word to other people. But then that was shattered when this Romulan's word didn't mean jack shit because it was based on false assumptions. You know, all of his assumptions are false, and so like. Does that mean all of his loyalty then is just shattered? It's a concept that doesn't even exist for that person anymore. Yeah. I don't know. So many questions. Well, and there, there's there's two different loyalties at play. He, you definitely see in the episode that he really, really cares about his home planet and about his species, and he has a love, uh, an almost uh, supremacist like delusional love of like I come from the best planet I come from the most beautiful planet and Rami, and I come from the planet of the smartest people and the most amazing people you see that he has this sort it's a, a, that kind of loyalty I've never really related to personally because I'm not like a person who's like it, we see this with like the American South where people are like I'm from fucking Tennessee man that's goddamn right. I'm Texas, baby. My homeland. Dude, yeah, like, I can't, you know, I can't like, even remember the last time I was proud to be an American. I'll say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and right. I'm like, I, do, I definitely don't really give a shit about Utah, and I don't really give a shit about America. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you you do see those people who are, like, they have that that pride. And he, this character definitely has that pride. But there's competing loyalties because there's his loyalty to his homeland and his people, but then there's his loyalty to his daughter. And he has decided that he wanted to make a better world, a better universe, a better galaxy for his daughter. And so warning the Federation of this potential uh, attack and, and war seems to him to be an act of loyalty to his daughter and his family, of trying to live in a safer world and uh, – and his loyalty to his daughter outweighs his loyalty to his, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. It, it does bring up, you know, you, you can ask the question at the end of the episode. It's like, was this guy actually like a traitor? Like in his own way, it's like he's extremely loyal to, in his mind, the, the Romulan people. Mm-hmm. And um, 
he, he does mention his daughter and his family. And that's kind of now like the lens he's looking through that, but it's almost like, but it's still just like, it's not just for my daughter. It's, it's for my people. And I want my people to live in a better world, which means my daughter will live in a better world. Um, so his, his loyalty, the entire episode is to his own people. Um, so, but then this whole thing ends up becoming a loyalty test for him like, to the Romulan military. Right. Like, you know, to the empire, to the empire, to the empire. Be loyal to us. No, not like that. Right. What in the end, what matters to them? It's like you betrayed state secrets. You betrayed the Romulan military and your post like, and that's like the end all be all of anything. It's, and it's, but it's their own interpretation of loyalty like and and you know um the uh, commander Tomalock shows up you know and it's like this is all like he has his own idea of what like the, this loyalty is and it's like no it's what we say that's what's you just need to toe the line kind of loyalty like the larger picture for our people we know what's best for our people you don't um you need to be loyal to us like, it's almost like an Edward Snowden situation where it's like there are certain people that think Edward Snowden was a traitor to his country because he betrayed the government. And your loyalty should be to the military, the government, the CIA, the you know American intelligence agencies that you betrayed um, state secrets and things like that. And there are people definitely in this country who definitely hold that point of view. That, But then there are people who, who would say that his loyalty was to the American people mm-hmm. more the, so than the American uh, – systems of power snowden certainly was, yeah, has you know. that point of view the difference is like this romulan's intelligence is a nothing burger you know what i mean like snowden right. actually brought actual evidence of shit to the table uh, well it's a big yeah. indictment of the romulan system of government too and 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 or or you know power structure that they're like a little bit totalitarian in their uh disinformation tactics and you know and their willingness to put this man through this much uh, emotional distress just in order to see where he's at on, on how much he's willing to toe the line. For sure. I was just going to say though, but he doesn't actually ever betray any real secrets, any data that he could have given about his sector or whatever that he oversaw as a logistics clerk. He doesn't reveal. It's all just the made up intelligence that he, he gets across. Yeah, and he blows up the ship so they can't check it out. Mm-hmm. Like in the end, he ends up betraying nothing, and even though, like in his mind, it's like, oh my god, this is everything. In the end, at, he even says it at the end. It's like it's a, you see, it's a great performance. I think his performance is the highlight of the episode. Yeah, um, the actor who plays. Um, I can't remember his name. He shows up in a bunch of. This is like his first Star Trek appearance, and they were so impressed by his performance that they invite him back in other incarnations to play other characters. His um, look in the end. It's fun thing about nothing. wearing makeup is you can just now you're this guy, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was all for nothing. You're just like oh, that fucking my family. that poor guy, <laughs> my daughter. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, and then going to the motivations, um, they wanted him to be um, loyal to an ideology, mm-hmm. whereas he, for him, it was like his people like the more personal loyalty and it's interesting like um and especially when we were talking earlier before the episode of what you know what what's important about loyalty especially when you list loyalty as a value in and of itself um i think when i come down on this issue i'm like I don't think loyalty it, it 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 is all contextual. Loyalty by itself essentially means nothing as far as I can tell. It's like okay, I'm loyal to the Nazis. Great. Who cares? Yeah. Good for you, I guess. Like Yeah, right. And then but I see people who will see like I will see people say like, "Look, I disagree with you, but I love that you're sticking to your guns." I'm like, "Why though?" Yeah. Like, "Why is that so impressive to you?" Because if that's all we ever do, no minds will ever be changed. Like everyone will forever just be stuck in their pre-existing assumptions. Mm-hmm. Why is that 
in and of itself a good thing. It's to me ass backwards. Yeah, it's like if the American government did a psyop on like a uh, an intelligence operative or something like that, where they were like, "We're going to feed this guy intel that says that we have plans to drop a nuclear bomb on, uh, you know, Palestine or something like that." You know, like that we're going or we're going to like like green light Israel to nuke like uh, uh, Palestine or something like that, and we're go- and we're going to feed fate and, and then we're going to see what he does with this information, and then like if the guy does the right thing and is like, "I'm going to try to prevent this from happening," they're like, "Oh well, you're not loyal," and it's like, but you. You, first of all, you fed me fake information. And second of all, the information that you fed me was like you were going to do something that was going to like jeopardize the safety of not just me and my family, but of like the world. Like, Our empire is at risk if you do this. Yeah. So like, like in in a way, I'm literally trying to preserve the Romulan Empire here. Like you you're talking about going to war with the Federation, which I I love our empire, but like I'm not sure if that's a smart decision for us. Even if we manage to not be completely obliterated, we might lose millions of lives, of Romulan lives, yeah. that are unnecessarily. Yeah. You know? It's just being loyal to us, your superiors, no matter what. Right. That's what they're testing. That's what's important to them. Right. And it's so empty. And at least it's such an empty, con- like, climax and conclusion for him and everything. It's, it's n- all of this for nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Um. Really sad, except the ending is – the fact that he commits suicide is a powerful note if it just didn't end so rapidly. They don't like – they don't give you any time to really – Well, and that's television too is there's just – you're trying to tell such a complex story in 45 minutes and uh, and – they're trying to find as many beats as they can to they're giving you these beats throughout where you're like, Oh, that's an important beat where he's talking about trying to get Romulan ale made by the, the, the replicator, but they they don't have it. And then he's talking about the beauty of Romulus. And then he, when he goes in to see the, the, on the, the holodeck, the, the image of his home, home planet, these moments. And then you're sort of just left. And this, this is just sort of what happens with television is like once, once the reveal has been made and the the plot has sort of reached its conclusion, it's just sort of like, all right, let's tie everything up here really quickly. Whereas if this were a cinema, if this were a movie, they'd probably try to find a little bit more uh, cushion on that beat, you know, just to... Because, yeah, it is a little bit like, oh, come in here, Captain. Oh, he's dead. The end. (laughs) Yeah, could the music maybe have been a little less triumphant and like, yay, we're off to the next adventure, Mike. Maybe a little more like somber. Yeah. Just, but it's as if they've achieved some big victory. Romulan guy's dead in his quarters, died alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like modern TV shows, like when there's a really traumatic or 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 sad thing that happens in the show, a lot of times like credits will just start rolling and there'll be like no music, you know? And it's sort of that feeling of like, whoa, what the fuck? You know, but but this show just had a tradition of hitting you with the theme music at the end of every episode. And that was just how, that was the format of the show. But so it's a little bit like they come in and, and Gates McFadden is like, uh, he's dead. And they're like, oh, well, he committed suicide. And then it's just, <laughs> <laughs> Um... You know, though, going back to what you said earlier, how we started this whole conversation with Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and yes, I have, I am very much a Shakespeare critic. I think Shakespeare is great for what it is. Yeah, it, it is the most overplayed, overdone, overrated, overrated. I'm like, people talk <laughs> about. I've had conversations where it's like, it's not about the language, it's the plots. I'm like, I'm sorry. These plots were being done thousands of years before Shakespeare. It is the language. Yeah, that is. It's academically interesting. It's great to go back to and look at. But the fact that we're still doing it as if it is. I hate I hate these terms universal and timeless. I'm like, I don't think any story ever. No story well, is universal so and timeless. so much of the stuff that happens in Shakespeare plays, I'm like, this is not timeless. Can we all just acknowledge that, like, this is massively misogynistic and that, like, this does not fly anymore. This narr- – like, this – I did the, the I did um, uh, Much Ado About Nothing a few years ago and I was like, this, 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 this story is like – this guy finds out that his – 
the woman that he's going to marry has has been with someone else before he marries her, but it just turns out it's someone else in disguise, which is another thing, the plots of the Shakespeare plays. One of the common elements of Shakespeare plays is just some dude puts a mop on his head and is like, my name is Theodisial. And, like, <laughs> and people are like, oh, fair maiden. <laughs> it's like, you're the most attractive maiden my eyes has ever beset me. You know? It's like, that is a 180 pound man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like again, it's it's fine for what it is. Yeah, and like I, there are things I I think it is fun to go back and look at, but no more or less than any other thing in the past. And this idea that it's as relevant now, I I, I think is ludicrous. These are rich royal fucks. Who care? And the oh god, the fucking comedies. They are the it's the exact well, same plot exact, every, every comedy time. is someone puts on a hat and goes like I'm this guy and it's like and people are like well he told me his name and I also love the whole thing of like you didn't have any any real concept of like unspoken beats where people were where a, a moment would happen that character where it was subtext or someone would say one in modern drama you have a lot of times where people will say one line and it means a whole monologue and it means all that there's all this carried subtext but Shakespeare's always just got characters looking at the audience and being like since we were shipwrecked here on this island I have not eaten in four days thus seeing this person with the food I am hungered by it and I shall go to them and try to get the food and it's like you could just do that it's a, you can just go over there and eat that food. I don't need you to explain to me that the reason why you're doing it. Oh, I need it because I can't read. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that being said, there's like clearly though, like storytelling theater is better off for having Shakespeare. Absolutely. Clearly. Absolutely. And what's fun about, and this is why I wish when we talk about like adaptations and stuff, like, for example, I would, even though this now has its own similar issues, given a choice between Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story, I would actually watch West Side Story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 they've just done more with it now. Yeah. And it's more, it's, it's more interesting and it's more thematically resonant, you know. There, there was this show that came out on, on HBO that's really good called Station Eleven. It's a miniseries uh, that's based on a book. And um, fantastic. It's, one, you know, another one of their post-apocalyptic, uh, it's like a, a global pandemic happens and kills like um, 85% of the world's population, like just kills like so many people. Yeah. And there's just, you know, uh, troops and tribes of people left. And there's this whole storyline that follows around this troop of theater actors uh, that are a traveling um they call themselves the traveling symphony and they travel around and they, they perform nothing but exclusively Shakespeare for people in these different little towns and, and, um, and camps where people live. And it's kind of like a nice little idea that like in this post apocalyptic world, there's this traveling troupe that comes into your town and puts on Shakespeare plays and stuff. But I'm like, if, if the world ended and movies and TV shows and everything went away and some theater troupe came to town and they were like, we only do Shakespeare, I'd be like, fuck you, do The Matrix. <laughs> like, how dare you? Like, do, do Star a, Wars. Do an episode of Seinfeld right now. Like, <laughs> fuck you. You only do Shakespeare? You, fuck you. Fuck you. You only do Shakespeare and there's no TV <laughs> or movies? Oh, yeah. I, I only drink espresso and... and how dare you? Wear There's Nike nothing. shoes. You're the only theater troupe I've seen in in 15 years. You're the, please, please, for the love of God, do John Wick right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so absurd. Imagine if like I'm I'm part of a Shakespeare company, as if that's like wow. But I'm like, imagine if like I am part of the Sophocles troupe. I like just pick re- some random playwright. I we only do this. I'm like that's insane. 500 yeah. years. Ago, that's insane. Yeah. People are like doing the Marvel movies again in 500 years. Like, but only this is the pinnacle of cine- <laughs> we're a Marvel cinema, right? But nothing else. Yeah, that's so. I it, just when there's when there's looking into the future, like like Star Star Trek is, and we talked about this on my podcast. That like this kind of hopeful, positive look at the future that Star Trek is. But when a show like this is looking into the future and they're still saying all the way in the future that the the pinnacle of English language storytelling is still William Shakespeare, that like there is still no better way. And it's also like, I mean, it's obviously like Jean-Luc Picard, like the height of English ignorance too, to be like, well, it's, or arrogance to be like, well, of course, our most 
prolific and famous playwright was the you know i'm just kind of like whatever like whatever do some arthur miller do some you something know, yeah sam shepherd maybe yeah some sham shepherd you know get in there mix uh, it up what other names can we drop <laughs> <laughs> What other pl- uh, Ed- Edward Albee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's fun about the? I do like its inclusion in here. The line about it being the end all be all is stupid. But what is fun is again this idea of adaptation, where it's like this is like f- what kind of what Star Trek is at its best is kind of um, future Shakespeare, like an attempt at like let's do something like Shakespeare. It's not going to be the text of Shakespeare, but in terms of like, it's very stylized dialogue, you know? So there's a language and a cadence to it. That's so much of what Star Trek is, is like, there's like techno babble and, you know, stuff like Romulans and stuff. Um, And then just these kind of slow, steady, like characters just kind of having big moments with each other. Like the scene between Picard and Jarok, it's like, you can and the the actor it came to me James Sloyan he said uh, he love he always loved doing Star Trek he's like because this is one of the only places in in modern television where you can do something like Shakespeare it's not again it's not exactly Shakespeare but like and it's like adapting Shakespeare that kind of storytelling for the future and the, I it's more interesting I think the language is definitely heightened and I and I I assume that the two of you have your ears a little bit more attuned to it now after doing this podcast for a while and watching episodes with people for me not having watched Star Trek in a while and coming in kind of kind of cold and it's been a while since I've watched uh, an episode of like any of the, the Star Trek series, it was almost like watching a Shakespeare piece where I have to really pay attention. I really had to like tune my ears into the language because the language is, um, they don't, they don't hold back on, on heightening the, the way that they write. They don't try to dumb it down for the audience at all. They're not talking down to anyone. And I think, I mean, I asked well in the middle of it, I was like, what network was this on? And you pointed out that it wasn't on a network. And, there are things about the show that definitely have this feeling of like we're not answering to you know uh, producer doing producer notes from the network or doing you know like there's no like corporate interest that's like you got to make sure you get this uh, um, um, product placement in there you got to you know it's like it, it just has no place on this show and so it has that different vibe. Yeah. because of that and it always did have a different vibe even when i was growing up from other shows it's probably because it just doesn't have that network television thing another reason why patrick stewart shines in the show patrick stewart patrick stewart shines in the show is because he can chew on that dialogue so well oh he very much is playing like a he's very much playing like a shakespearean king when he's in the chair it's like his throne and like how he acts and everything it's very theatrical um yeah, and, and I kind of like that. You can almost imagine there being some lost Shakespeare cl- play called like Prince Philip or whatever, and it's about like this prince from France who comes over to England. He's like, "My liege, like the the war is nigh," and like the and then the king of um, England has to decide if this guy is telling the truth or not. And there's all this back and forth, you know, the classic Shakespeare to be or not to be, like wrestling with this. What do I do? Absolutely, it's a very Shakespearean plot, and it could be drawn it could be the kind of thing that could probably stand to be two hours long or something just to give it a little bit more time Mm -hmm. to flesh out what it truly means for this character to be defecting and and betraying his loyalty to his homeland but for the greater good in his mind and then only to find out tragically that it was all i mean you, you can that's that's maybe the only probably yeah criticism of the episode is that they have to wrap it up rather quickly mm-hmm. even the whole sequence of the romulan showing up and revealing that it was all to the end it's sort of like three minutes long it's it's pretty quick and it's like that could maybe use just a little bit more space to breathe that beat but yeah i agree a little less character development of the romulan maybe you could take out the holodeck scene give the yeah maybe the, yeah Maybe it's it's good enough to just have it be him talking about it in the cafeteria or whatever with whatever whatever you call that with uh with data. yeah with data the mess deck or I don't know what do you what, what do you call where they eat <laughs> is it ten forward um, is this ten forward yeah okay um, 
Yeah, because I mean, so much of where the dramatic tension really comes from is Picard is the one who has to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they could even like, and they spend a lot of scenes with Picard trying. I think where they could have trimmed stuff up is there a lot of scenes with like Picard talking to the Admiral on the screen, talking to like Mr. Worf, talking to the bridge crew. Just like some of that, I think could have been trimmed up a little bit to let that climax at the end breathe a little yeah. bit more. Um, I but I still think it gets itself across. And again, for like a nineteen literally a 1990 January 1st television show. I'm like, this holds up better than almost anything you're going to watch from that time. Oh, sure. It, this still holds up today. Sure. Um, yeah. And we were, when we were on your podcast, we were talking about, and you were talking about like, I didn't get into Star Trek as much because it wasn't as flashy. And I love that oftentimes it isn't as flashy. And I like that they don't end in big pew pews at the end. Mm-hmm. It's just more of building up this conflict and seeing how it re- resolves. But it's all about like the characters and the tension about what do we do in this situation rather than, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah. You know? There were still some pew pews. Very beginning. We got a, we got a little. Well, sure. they got zapped a little bit there at the end. Oh, but yeah, they, yeah. But it's kind of fun, like the, the chess game of it, of like he understands that. He, goes, he calls it a tap on the shoulder. He's like, this is a shoulder tap. If they actually were trying to fight us, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know? And they're just kind of saying like, hey, 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 open up your hailing frequencies. I see. <laughs> you could have just hailed us. <laughs> yeah, but we just want to let you know. <laughs> just hail us. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot you like four times. <laughs> just going to kind of. Shoot you like four times. Drop your shields by like ten uh, percent. <laughs> Captain, they really fucked with us here. Yeah. That's just a tap on the shoulder, gentlemen. Mm. Um, it is fun. I, you know, I, you know, flawed. Um, I don't think this crosses over into like one of the all-time greats. But again, it's just some random episode to turn on of a show that has hundreds of ep- like over a hundred episodes. And you're like, this is still really good and and really kind of. I loved. I love the morality play stuff, and I wish there were more shows nowadays that did it. Like. We kind of got it with the Westerns back in the day. We got it with Shakespeare back in the day. And kind of Star Trek took out that mantle for a long time. They don't quite do it as much as like they used to. And I love it. Just like the philosophical conflict. I really like, I do like watching too, just from like a production design standpoint and like, like how, how they're using their budget because it it is a sci-fi show on a budget at a time when uh, visual effects were still just being developed on computers and things like that. It's actually interesting that this predates uh, Jurassic Park and stuff and that they were still doing digital effects on the show. They're not great, but it's still like digital effect in, in effects in film, like being used uh, on a low-budget sci-fi TV show. And to see the uh, just the creativity of like, like when they had that little sequence where Jordy is showing them um, – sort of the data that he's come up with uh, on on these two ships that they've been tracking and stuff. And it's like, oh, it's just like interesting to watch the stuff that the production design team comes up with to make things look plausibly futuristic and sci-fi, but also like be practical. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's that old, I've always believed still like creativity thrives within limitations. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, all these shows can just do whatever they want and then they do it. And you can tell it's like, they just completely indulged whatever, any whim they had. Where some of these shows, it's like, we got to figure this shit out. And it's like, we have to to somehow make this work. And they talked about, well, the writers talk about like, this was a hard one to figure out. Um, But it forces them. It's like, we don't, we only have so much to work with. And we have like a week to put this all together. Yeah. So what can we do? And like, that's when creativity has its moments of shining. Uh, you know, like you and I have talked about like deadlines and that can be really helpful. And it's like, when you don't have a lot and you have to do it, you will come up with something. Yeah. 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 Or you will break down completely and, and quit and disappear and never work again. <laughs> One of the two. Or you'll get fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we um, kind of wrap it up? Patrick Stewart has been the same age for 30 years. Pushing 100 50. years. Yeah. <laughs> He's been like roughly 50 to 60 years old for 30 years. <laughs> if not longer. <laughs> Romeo and fashion still all over the place. Yeah. Mm, gotta say the shoulder pads. They, I don't know about the shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting look. They're still trying to go for this kind of space Roman thing. Um, yeah. Now they have these big old shoulder pads in these new shows. Well, of the, at the time. Do you like them? They're ironic. <laughs> I 
oh, this is just my casual wear. I just like shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah, the Romulan fashion's pretty fun. It's always it's always been interesting to me, like the the whole like just like Romulans are like dickhead Vulcans. Yeah. Like the, it's just like <laughs> we basically look like Vulcans, but we're just like kind of like like dickier. Yeah. We're just like <laughs> like like four chan Vulcans. Four chan Vulcans. <laughs> they're they're dark elves. That's what yeah. they are. Yeah. They're dark elves. Dark elves. Yeah. Um. God. Also, just like the the. You know, we now have the improved uniforms. It's just still so funny to think about. That's what they're wearing. Like, that's the uniform of the future, huh? <laughs> well, I also like when there's an alien species that has a uniform haircut. That's like, yeah, yeah. like everyone gets this haircut. It's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Same haircut as the Vulcans. Both species have agreed. Yeah. Hey, if you're in the pointy-eared club... Come on, you it just to. looks cooler. <laughs> they're like, we both agree. Like, I hate the Vulcans, but like, they do have great hair. <laughs> the- there's just statues of Mo from the Three Stooges on all yeah. these worlds, and they just... That's oh, just man. how their bulls look on both planets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the classic bull cut. Um, yeah, good fun, good fun stuff. Um, it's always fun to watch these little morality plays, and this is kind of when, because, you know, we're in the middle of, like, the TNG renaissance, and both of these Romulan episodes, they really, you can see the show has really found a good way to raise the stakes and delve into these little morality plays you know kind of finally figuring out the show yeah this was fun boys i appreciate you having me over yeah thank you so much for coming on austin it's great um at some point we would love to have you back on again anytime absolutely Um, all right well thank you for listening everyone um next week the tng renaissance continues we won't be getting into another two for quite yet um, but this episode will be connected to an episode we watched earlier this batch, so it will be kind of a non-contiguous twofer of sorts. Um, we're going to be watching Deja Q, which of course means both Q and our good friend Jake Barnes will be ah, back. Fuck that guy Q. Fuck that Not guy fuck Q. that guy Jake Barnes. Fuck, fuck Jake Barnes. Q. Q's great. You know, I was fuck. in a movie with Q when I was a kid. John Delancey. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I only worked with him for two days. Yeah. But yeah. Interesting guy. Thank you. John Delancey. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin, do you want to plug anything to our dozen listeners? Oh, hey, everybody. If you're out there, you can listen to Jaron and Aaron on my podcast, People Pleaser, with Austin Archer. Uh, or you can follow me at Your Pal Austin on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Austin Archer on YouTube, all that stuff. Yeah, check it out. It's good stuff. Um, all right. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time. In Star Trek stories. That guy's dead. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.